So, Berto, I've been busy all day, and I haven't had any time to prepare for this episode, so I thought we would just do an oldie but a goodie in which I present tougher bluffs to you, and you try to see if you can make any funny comments. What do you say? Episode of what? This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor. My name is Humberto Castaneda. I run an alternative facts website. So, Berto... Different communities remember events differently. Tougher bluff. Different, different communities, communities remember. remember events differently. Tougher bluff. Tough. You're right. Human communities can create shared memories, beliefs, and cultural norms. They did a study about that. It's um, uh, the whole. This is this is what causes that phenomenon I was telling you about the other day. Yeah. The uh, what's it called? <clears throat> Where people remember things from the '80s differently. <laughs> the Berenstein Bears. The the uh, Mandela. Mandela Mandela effect. <laughs> Tougher bluff, Berto. Gamblers are more likely to be violent. Gamblers are more likely to be violent. Uh bluff. Do you know any gamblers? I don't. Oh, so you're not a good. So you say bluff? Yes. It's tough. According to a survey of over three thousand men in the UK, the researchers found that half of pathological gamblers okay. gamblers. So I guess I should have said pathological. 45% of problem gamblers and 28% of casual gamblers. Oh, I see. Half of pathological, 45% of problem, 28% of casual gamblers were involved in physical fights in the past really? five years compared to only 19% of non-gamblers. So the gambling thing, I could see, a, I could imagine a correlation. You might have impulsivity. You might be a risk taker and you might uh, want to... Uh, you know, because the other thing about gambling is that you're maybe trying to achieve something better, so you might be unhappy with your current state. So then you combine all those things, and you might be kind of volatile. You know, someone looks at you funny, and you're like, ah, they're trying to hold me back, and I'm volatile, and I'm impulsive. <laughs> What's kind of surprising to me is that among uh, the non-gamblers, almost 20% of them said they were in a fight within the last five years. Wow. I mean, I get well not non the casual gamblers. <clears throat> no, twenty percent of non gamblers. What? Twenty eight percent of casual and nineteen percent of non gamblers. Did they poll UFC fighters? <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe it's a lot of young people or something. Because I would say, <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to think of like anyone that I know. Who's, That's one out of five of everyone we know. <laughs> I, I'm just trying to. Can you think of anyone that you know who's been in a fight in the last five years? I, I mean, not that I know offhand. Like. I, I don't really. I guess when you get older, it's like. But I, mean, I don't think I could, if I rewind to college, I knew maybe one. Really, I need I knew a dude that would get in fights often. In college, I feel like everyone was getting in fights. I would get in fights sometimes. But I'm a lover, not a fighter, Berto. Everyone knows that. Tougher bluff. Watching. I, thought I told you, I'm a lover, not a fighter. Watching sad movies will help you ignore physical discomfort. Tougher bluff. Watching oh, sad, sad movies, movies. Sad, sad movies, movies will help you ignore physical, physical discomfort. Uh, I would think that would be true of comedies, but I know I'd say bluff with the sad movies. It's tough, really. Let's see. Researchers asked 169, 69 participants to watch a tragic movie in a theater. You made setting. me spill my coconut water. 
Oh, no. <laughs> Fair though. And uh, another 68-person group to watch a dry documentary. Afterwards, the drama watchers did better at a test in which they had to sit against a wall unsupported for as long as possible. What? Okay. <laughs> so that, that's how they measure, because okay. they can't actually make you go through discomfort. So the people that watched the sad movie could sit longer against the wall? Yeah. Because they maybe were like, well, I don't have it that bad. Yeah. Okay. This Roman chair task is a proxy, it's believed, for increased endorphin release because endorphins allow people to ignore the discomfort of the task. So watching a sad movie might release endorphins in your brain to kind of counteract the pain of watching it. Oh. And then you're able to withstand the pain. (laughs) I was thinking it was more like... Man, I just watched Schindler's List. If they can put up with that, I can, you know, be against this wall for an hour. <laughs> Tougher bluff. Teachers and social workers are only slightly better than others at identifying lies from children. Teachers and social workers are only slightly better than others at identifying lies from children. Tougher bluff. Uh, bluff. Uh, I think that because their brains are constantly seeing the patterns over time, they get a lot better at detecting those it you said bluff bluff yeah no it's tough they're only slightly oh really yeah they looked at 45 different studies a meta study and they found that teachers and social workers are just slightly better uh same meta study adults can detect lies from children 61 percent of the time so just as all adults right 61% 61% of the time, which is 11% better than chance. Tough or bluff, Berto? 61% of the time. I'd say it's a bluff. It's 70% of the time. It's bluff. It is 48% of the no time. No way. Kids can fool us more often than not. Well, this study in Law and Human Behavior, the way that they you know, set up the study was they had videos of kids lying or telling the truth. Okay. And the adults were only... You know, they were just like chance, essentially. That's kind of hard because you don't know this ki- these right. kids. You have no context. Right. You don't know them. Plus, my guess is the lies were probably incidental. Yeah. You know, just say your favorite color is something different or something like that. Whereas when a kid is, you know, takes a cookie from the cookie jar and you say, did you take a cookie from the cookie jar? Uh, do you think you would be a good detector of lies if you knew a kid? And I think so. Yeah. I think yeah. it's it's if you know a kid, I think it's pretty easy. Especially, I think if you had some sort of trust developed, yeah. because you know if you can make them feel like you're about to break my trust, you know, be careful. Then maybe you could, you could get at it. Yeah. Having said that, it's sort of like the toupee effect, where people will say, "I can always spot a toupee," uh, because they can't really because they they spot the toupees they can spot, but. If a toupee is really good, they can't spot it. So they that's, don't know when they can't spot it. <laughs> and with lies, it's the same way. Yeah, I mean, that's true. How do you really know if you're good at detecting that's lies? That's a good point. You, you detect the bad ones, but it's hard to detect the good ones. Have you ever spotted a toupee and been wrong? <laughs> <laughs> it just pulled on their head. <laughs> People in the U.S. are less empathetic than most other countries. Tougher bluff. People, People in the U.S. are less empathetic than people in most other countries around the world. Oh, I'm going to... Oh, man. I'm going to go tough by a small margin. It's bluff. Okay. Uh, Researchers surveyed over 100,000 adults in 63 countries about their levels of empathy. Where do you think the U.S. ranked out of 63? 
Yeah, I guess if it's all over, it's, that wouldn't be fair, right? Uh, U.S. then, well, it was out of 63. Yeah. It was number 10. Close, number 7. Okay. What was number 1? <laughs> number 1 was Canada. It's in Central America. Oh, what? Yeah. Colombia? No. That's, not, that's South America. Yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> oh, I don't know my Latinos. Uh, Costa Rica. Ecuador. Wait, Ecuador is South America. Oh, sorry. <laughs> what? <laughs> now I'm so confused. <laughs> um, what was last? Okay. Uh, this is in Central... No, just joking. This is in Europe. In Europe, Eastern, last? Eastern Europe. Okay. Uh, Bulgaria. <laughs> Lithuania. Lithuania. That's okay. Eastern Europe, right? Yeah. Yeah. Where is Ecuador? Is that is that in the middle? No, Ecuador is right below Colombia. Oh, okay. Yeah. What am I thinking? I think it of Nicaragua. I think in my head... I've always mixed up Nicaragua and Ecuador. Oh, that could be because yeah. of the the ek. Yep. Yeah, and that's I could see that. Yeah, because I'm names sure they're are quite different places, though. Yeah. yeah. On average, baby boomers and Gen Xers have stronger have a stronger worth eth- work ethic than millennials. So, oh. So millennials okay. compared to Gen, you and I are Gen Xers. Gen X. Baby boomers are our parents. Yeah. And the millennials, their work ethic, the young kids of today, the 20-somethings, their work ethic is, you know, according to studies, uh, not as strong as the Gen Xers. No, that's a bluff. Why? I, I'm, I'm, I, okay, I know that that's like the, the myth. It's like, oh, these Gen Yers, these kids, these kids these days, they don't do anything. I just think... It seems that way because it's a different way to invest their time, and they seem very distracted by all the social media and stuff like that. But if that were true, then nothing – you know, all these big things that are happening and all these big developments wouldn't be happening. But that's, that's not true. There's still plenty of discoveries happening all over the board, plenty of scientific progress being made, plenty of computer progress being made, plenty of like fields that we didn't even have before. So no, I'm going to go bluff. You're very smart. It is bluff. All three generations have similar work ethics. A meta-analysis examined 77 studies spanning more than 40 years. The researchers found no significant differences in the work ethic of the three generational cohorts. Kids today. Kids today. Yeah, it's a massive myth and stereotype. And it's, you know, it spans, you know, forever, you know, millennia (laughs) that people talk about the kids today, they lack grit, they lack a work ethic. They lack, but when you actually look at the data, it's hard to measure that, right? <laughs> but I can tell you from anecdotal experience, young the young people I work with are extremely hardworking, just like we were. They're the the thing that people. Whenever I hear people talking with me, even even people who are in contact with teenagers, they're just like because you know they they know me as a person who will spout about such things and they'll say, you know, what do you think about teenagers today? I mean, do you think that there's um, something different about them? You know, like with all the social media and like video games and, you know, I just, I just feel like there's something different about them. And what I hear is kids today. Kids today. And back in my day. Yeah. They, they lack grit. They lack work ethic. They have no morals. They don't respect their elders. I mean, I remember, I might have said this in the podcast before, I remember being in the fifth grade and thinking the fourth graders didn't know how to respect older people. I remember in the fifth grade, I remember looking at fourth graders and saying, 
when I was in the fourth grade, we knew how to respect the fifth <laughs> graders. These fourth graders don't know how to respect the fifth graders. Yeah. And I remember that each year that would happen. I would say, man, these younger kids today, they don't know how right. to res- When I was their age, I was terrified of eighth graders. When I was in seventh grade, I was terrified of ninth grade. <laughs> All right. Tougher bluff, Berto. Low socioeconomic class people tend to spend more time looking at others while walking around New York City than higher class people. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, so lower lower uh, economic tend to spend more time looking at others. Looking at other human beings yeah. while they're walking around the streets of New York City than higher class people. Bluff. Here's my here's my take on this. The the lower quote unquote class uh, economic class people they're too busy like do I gotta get to work I better not get fired because I need that paycheck because oh they're cutting off my social security my car might have gotten towed they're not paying attention to other people the higher ones are like oh I wonder if he's got more money than me oh look at that person over there oh that person might come too close to me I'm being very stereotypical but yes I'm sticking by my bluff it's actually tough researchers asked New York City pedestrians to walk one block wearing Google glasses that recorded where they were looking. Low class people spent longer looking at passers by than high class people. Hmm. Any speculation on that? Of course, it makes total sense. Because the okay, so the the people that are struggling economically, they're looking at others going like, "Oh, I wish I had that watch. I I need to make more money so I can." Whereas, you know, the people with more finances, they're walking by going like, I'm secure in my life. I have everything I need. I don't need to look at others. <laughs> I just totally reversed my hypothesis. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Either way, you don't like the high-class people. That's, that's... <laughs> I guess not. <clears throat> All right. Tougher bluff. Mean behavior is contagious. Mean, mean behavior. Yes. Yes. Tough. Yeah, you're right. Researchers followed 70 employees. When they experienced people being mean to them, they were more likely to be mean soon after which seemed to result in a toxic workplace over time. Have you ever experienced I've absolutely experienced this. It's almost like they interviewed me and my coworkers from a previous job, although I've only had one or two jobs in my life. One of those, I had this problem. So basically, before I joined this team, I, I would call myself very like an open individual, nice to be with, friendly. Joined this team, and a lot of the meetings were very aggressive. And like the people in charge would be very much like, you – what did you do? And pointing fingers and everyone was kind of scared and stuff like that. Over time, everyone, including me, became that way. So you get to these meetings and everyone's kind of like, you know, trying to make sure that you, you say what you're saying quickly. And if someone makes a mistake, you point it out. And, it's, and it became very toxic. And I saw myself becoming like this. And when I left that, that team, I finally looked back and I was like, whoa, I'm not like that. That's crazy. Yeah. We're very affected by our environment, right? So there you go. All right, tougher bluff. Contrary to popular belief, cyberbullying appears to be less emotionally harmful to kids than traditional in-person bullying. Cyberbullying appears to be less emotionally harmful to kids than traditional in-person bullying. Berto, what do you think? Wow, uh, more emotionally harmful than traditional. Uh, no, bluff. It's, it's, it can be the same. The researchers analyzed data from telephone interviews conducted with about 800 U.S. 10 to 20-year-olds about the number of harassment incidents they experienced in the previous year. The researchers found that while online-only incidents were more likely to involve many witnesses, 
they were less likely than in-person incidents to oh. involve a social power differential or involve multiple episodes. Oh. In addition, online-only incidents were more likely to involve strangers or anonymous perpetrators, uh, which appeared to be less distressing to youth than harassment by schoolmates or other people they know. So it's bluff, but the other way. <clears throat> right. Okay. And, you know, the nuance here is the most important... It's, it, it, it's not as important if it's online or in person. It's more important if it's someone you know. Uh, I see. Uh, someone you know, power differential, recurrence, those kind of factors. Right. I mean, if someone bullies you... Some rando online, it, it's yeah. like whatever. But if like rando Kellerisian, that's going to be my new <laughs> online handle. <laughs> Do people still say handle? I'm sure no one's used that before. <laughs> Tougher bluff: half of all U.S. children and teens aren't hydrated enough. Oh half. yeah, I- absolutely tough. Uh, yes, seven um, percent of teens. Never drink plain water. That's this is so so. Yeah. This is tougher bluff. Oh, you're right. It is tough. <clears throat> I'm going on to another one. Okay, got it, got it. Seven percent of children and teens never drink plain water. Seven percent never drink just plain old water. Yeah, you, it's 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 bluff. It's twenty percent. Twenty four percent. Oh my god. No, listen. You know why I'm so sure? I my sample size of one, which is me. <laughs> I grew up. And I look back and I'm thinking, how did I survive? Because I rarely ever drank water. And, um, and actually, a lot of things, I used to have like very parched lips. And, you know, I, I, th- I think looking back, I probably, um, I probably just thought that if I drink my milk in the morning and at lunch I drink some juice, that I'm hydrated. Right. No one ever actually told me. No one actually told me, you got to drink water end times or this often or anything. Well, no one thought water was important. Yeah. When I played football in the 80s, in the middle of August, we, <laughs> which is, you know, it could get scorched really hot in Seattle, not like, you know, other places, but, you know, 90s. <laughs> and we're doing three practices a day. We call them three-a-days. What? <clears throat> yeah. So it's basically from, you know, eight in the morning until five at night, you're, you're in practice and you're running around in your pads and... Oh, this is during the summer. Yeah, before school starts. Got it. And I, we would be dying from thirst, naturally, right? And the coaches would say, uh, no, you can't drink water. You know, that it'll oh make you... God. <clears throat> and I think the thinking was, you're not going to get water at the game, so... <laughs> why not? <laughs> but yeah, that's the whole thing. Like, why not? I, I late in high school, like around my senior year, maybe you know sophomore or something. I remember they started like kind of letting us drink water. After some kids died from dehydration. Yeah, pe- well, not died, but people would pass heat out stroke, yeah. from heat stroke. There, you know, Jeez. inevitably every week there'd be some kid, and and they wouldn't send the kid home. They would just put him in the shade. Right. Like they they would just be, he'd be like woozy. And, oh my god. And they'd be like, okay, go sit in the shade and take a load off. You know. <laughs> Meanwhile, his brain is slowly boiling away, right? I remember at a daycare in the States when I was visiting my mom. Uh, I was probably, you know, <clears throat> six years old, let's say. I would be in the yard in the middle of the day, same thing, August, super hot. We're running around. And the counselors had little bottles of water, little squirt bottles or whatever. And you could go and request a couple squirts. 
And so I'd always be like, can I get two squirts? And they're like, well, you already had some. I'm like, I, please, I just need some more. Why were they hoarding the water? That's right. crazy. Right. <laughs> yeah. It, there's a lot of it in the world. <laughs> At least back then there was. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, tougher bluff. Girls are 76% more likely to be dehydrated than boys. Girls are 76% more likely to be dehydrated than boys. Bluff. Why? Bluff because, um, uh, I just I hate to say it, but in general, the boys might be more active, uh, and so they're sweating more. Well, for whatever reason, you're right. Boys are actually 76% more likely to be dehydrated than girls. Okay. Un- unknown. They didn't say why. Okay. Uh, last one on the water tip here. Black children are 34% more likely to be dehydrated oh. than white children. 34%. Black children. Uh, that is bluff. What do you think it is? I'm. I think it's uh, white children are more likely to be dehydrated. My crude hypothesis is that African American ancestry developed greater tolerance to low la- amounts of water. <laughs> uh, interesting. No, it's tough. Okay. Uh, black children are thirty four percent more likely. So if you're a black boy. Uh-huh. In all likelihood, you're walking around dehydrated. Okay, and you need to drink some water. Okay, so I guess that's what it is. I just kind of figure, like, you know, if you if you had, you know, I don't know, hundreds of thousands or whatever years of living in arid areas with very little water, you might have like I'm thinking Middle Eastern folks, maybe uh, African folks, maybe some Chinese Plains folks would have developed greater tolerance. Mountain Latin American mountain people. <laughs> Could be, but they might still but, yeah, not be drinking still not enough. Drink enough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining us out there. If you haven't become a patron, why should people become a patron, Berto? Well, basically, you get to be the boss. Patron. Patron means boss. So you basically are uh, – you get to be a part of a community. You get to be part of a voice that you can tell us what episodes you want to hear. You, uh, when, when you send us suggestions, we put those at the top of the, of the stack, you know. And then there's also kind of like this camaraderie between patrons that can develop. And you, uh, we'll have special events for patrons. You get special swag. And a lot of your donation goes to uh, charity. That's right. And if we reach our next goal, we will start donating to PetFinder, which saves – pets from being euthanized oh man okay so do it all right uh please take care of yourself because you deserve it 